My name is Lubuntu Webster. It's time for Ubuntu Life. My name is Nobuntu Shaza Webster. Welcome to Ubuntu Live. We are still committed to the Ubuntu agenda. We are still committed to the African agenda. And we are still committed to engaging with Africans who are building the continent. And I certainly still believe that this is an exciting time to be alive and a significantly exciting time to be an African. Today, I'm in conversation with Prince Malik Ado Ibrahim. Welcome to Ubuntu Live, Malik. Thank you. Nice to see you again. So excited to be having this conversation with you today. So let me tell you a little bit about Prince Malik Ado Ibrahim. He is the CEO of Nagas International and the executive chairman of Next Satellite TV Limited. And he's also the founder of Reset Nigeria Initiative. And most exciting for me is that he is his party's nominated presidential candidate for Nigeria's 2023 elections. I feel like I need a drum roll in this moment <laughs> because that is very exciting. Um, <laughs> well sitting with, that, yeah. with the president-elect, we are listening to a president-elect. That's absolutely amazing. And Malik, your ideology is that charity begins at home. And so here you are now you know, running for presidency in Nigeria in 2023, but you were educated in the UK and in the USA, and you've had an enviably successful career abroad, doing work with and for private and public sectors. Um, and you've really contributed so much to Nigeria, even with that background and context of having studied and worked in the UK and the USA for a significant time of your life. I know also that you want to continue your contribution to the continent. So the first thing I want to ask you is, is this philosophy that you hold of charity beginning at home, is that what inspired the establishment of Reset Nigeria and Reset Africa? I think it was more than just charity beginning at home. It was really coming back home to lead, uh, to prefer solutions that I'd learned outside and try to get other um, like-minded Africans to bring back, you know, what is fundamentally good about what we are as, as Africans. I felt that staying outside wasn't going to do that. I needed to be home and I needed to learn more about what is um, the uniqueness of being an African, whether you're Asian, colored, black, white, it didn't really make any difference. We were from here. And um, there was a the second part of that is that We'd seen so much um, development that wasn't coming back home. And I had been at the UN for a while. I had done a lot of things in, in the private sector. Um, and I decided, well, you know what? Um, I've, I've reached the pinnacle of what I can do as an African here. Um, let me go back home and bring back all that I've learned and all that I've experienced to try to be a part of the puzzle for a better continent. So Reset was set up so that other like-minded people could join and interested minds could also join and we could share that conversation. And um, it started with Reset Nigeria and then the Reset Africa platform um, started um, getting some foothold. And uh, now we have seven countries that have joined with the Reset uh, philosophy and more will be joining, so it's exciting. 
And what exactly does reset do? What is the objective, the overall objective of reset? And what are some of the initiatives or activities that are now happening? I mean, you've said now it's in seven countries. So uh, basically, it's going back to the fundamentals, resetting, going. Um, a lot of countries you travel around Africa, the one thing you'll notice is the infrastructure is poor. Uh, we have issues with security. We have issues with power. The issues continentally are pretty much the same. And uh, we have to go back to basics to get um, a more um, agile, more productive nation, uh, productive continent, productive people. And it's just resetting that that agenda, uh, fixing the lights. I mean, like Nigeria, like South Africa, you've got load shedding that can be severe. We have severe power cuts that can even have a, we had a national, we've had 17 national blackouts uh, this year already. Um, that's completely national. So my philosophy is a very simple one. And that is that we try to get like-minded people to bring that um, energy back and um, it's working. And countries, uh, like-minded people in other countries have now said, you know what, we like this. We like what you're trying to do. Uh, we want to get involved. And um, South Africa started first. And uh, Ghana, um, Uganda, Egypt, Morocco, you know, we've, we're seeing a lot of people with like-minded thinking to, to join that um, idea of how do we share our common interest as a continent? And how do we keep what is uniquely our African um, assets and and brain drain from from not uh, causing us issues. So um, I'm excited that we started this, and it it seems to be catching some. You know, we've got another fifty odd countries to go, but we're we're getting there. Look, um, I, I absolutely applaud the fact that it's already in seven countries and dealing with issues such as infrastructure must be very challenging. One of the things that we know is that infrastructure is known to be within the jurisdiction of governments. So as I'm listening to you, I'm curious to know, how do you make this work? How do you get collaboration with governments? Um, how do you even get them to engage you on things which are very much within their jurisdiction? The simple part of it is that we have to get into governance. The leadership in Africa is usually old, um, stayed. I hate to use the word corrupted, but let me use it, corrupted. And it doesn't give enough uh, leeway for young African minds to come in and energize the national polity wherever you are or, or bring new ideas. Um, the infrastructure we have is old, like the old, like the old rulers. And um, they are not open to modernity and new ideas. So part of the reset agenda is to get some of us that are exposed and well-traveled or, or even have a passion for, for governance to begin to see how we can take leadership roles in, in, in Africa. And yes, I'm trying to lead by example the same way, um, and, and that's what I've done. I've, and, and I see opportunities now for younger, a younger generation, maybe even just a bridging generation. I'm in my 50s, and um, I think that there's a bridge that can happen between these older... 80, 70 year old people and that younger generation that needs to come into governance. And uh, I see us as, a, as a present, presenting that bridge so that younger people can feel a sense of connectivity. And that's missing. Uh, Nigeria's average age is around 19 years old. Our leaders in their late 80s, late 70s, and maybe 80s, we don't know. You know. They probably don't even know their ages when they were born at some point. And um, we're now at the point where these 
there's just a disconnect. And I think that we wanted to set ourselves up as a bridge and that allows them to come into leadership roles, understand what they need to do, understand governance. And then we, we really create the platform for a better continent and better nations altogether. So you mentioned the energy crisis. I mean, I know that in my visits to Nigeria, the supply of power was quite erratic uh, while you were there. And I suppose in South Africa, I mean, I hate having to say at least about anything. I always say that at least we have some sort of schedule and we know when the power is going to go off. But there is a very real energy crisis. And I know that... um, your company, Nigers International, is focused on research and investment into technology solutions for African problems. Being in the throes of this energy crisis, what do you believe would be a solution that not only stabilizes supply, but also democratizes it? Because the access to, to, to power is also a problem in many parts of the continent. Yes. But for me, um, uh, I believe that power is a human right. Um, where the age where everybody should have access to it for healthcare, for education, for standard of living, for communication. Nothing works without power in, in the modern age. But again, with old leadership, we're stuck in this idea that you have to have a turbine. It needs to make noise so that power can come forth. And um, we haven't spent the kind of money we need to modernize our infrastructure, our transmission of, of power. So I'll take Nigeria, for example. Um, we're a country of 220-odd million people, but we have a total of 4,000 megawatts. I think South Africa are in circa 70,000 megawatts with uh, 80-odd million people. Ours just does not work. And the, the, the solution to this is to, is to have an energy mix that has everything from the conventional power to hydro to um, renewables to all sorts of things. Um, and I believe that... In the continent that's blessed with sun, uh, why aren't we harness, uh, harnessing this if we've got a lot of lakes and rivers and dams are not being used properly? Power can be uh, decentralized now. It's not the old way where we have, you know, power from a central point has been distributed. With renewables, you're able to embed the power where it's necessary and where it's needed. And from anything from a small power um, solution to a, a uh, multi-megawatts uh, uh, of power uh, can be supplied through u- renewables. So my focus has been, again, in the leadership role, practice what you preach. And um, so I've built my own power systems. I build my own renewable energy systems. It's, my company does that. We did the R&D. We developed it. It's a proudly Nigerian, proudly African solution. We've got about 25 megawatts already in Nigeria. We've got some smaller projects in different parts of, of Africa just to show that uh, we can harness the sun and we don't need Chinese or European technology. The lithium that we use is an African-based product. We need to uh, beneficiate here. We need to bring technology here. We're exporting lithium sand and importing the, the batteries, just like we, we, we mine our gold and, and buy the Rolex watches. Uh, you know, we, we get the, we have to pay uh, for the beneficiated product, and we sell the, the, the raw material for cheap. So uh, I believe that that's one of the things that I'm really focused on, which is let's use what we have. Let's bring that brain drain back, back and let's um, let others pay for the uh, value added we put into the raw materials that we produce. So um, I'm a big fan of that, and it's something that I'm very excited about. And power is one of those things where we don't need to go abroad. It's here. It's, it's above our heads. It's in our water. Uh, waterways and um, 
this technology and it's not a technology that's exclusive to anyone. Um, uh, there's a lot of very smart African minds that can, can do this and they're doing it. But again, leadership uh, in Africa, it's, you know, you buy a car, you want to kick the tires. You can't, the people don't really buy things online in the way that the West does. We still want that touch and feel. And um, although we're getting closer to understanding things from a distance, um, uh, people want to hear the power, the generators on, and you know I'm getting power. If it's faulty, you, you, you're not so, you can hear that it's having a problem. But to get them to understand what silent power is, what clean energy is, it's, be, it's been a fight. And being that I was an undersecretary at the UN for Renewable Energy, I felt it was incumbent upon me in that leadership role to come home and not just preach it, do it, show it. So my offices, my homes, uh, businesses, industrial parks that I'm building are all off-grid, 24-hour um, power using solar or wind and our storage uh, systems. Incredible. Listening to you, I can't help but think, as you mentioned, the diverse power sources, I can't help but think that there could be new innovations that are just waiting to happen when it comes to power. So what I want to ask you is, do you think that the environment in most of the continent is conducive for innovation from young people? There's a whole new generation. In South Africa, we call them Mama 2000. And I mean, those people are born in the 2000s. And I imagine they probably have ideas and a thinking that is so different to what the world has always known. What do you think of the environment in Africa for innovation? It's very poor. It's frustrating. I've been on the tip of innovation since the late 90s when I got into Formula One and I was a team owner, the first black man to do it, getting involved in a sport that was completely European, or should I say more uh, clearly white. I was the first black man to be in the sport in 50 years. And uh, as an owner, it was very difficult and and. Uh, to go and learn at that top level of, of a sport that was highly technical and in, in, innovative, people thought that I was this, uh, you know, a, a Martian. I might as well have been a Martian, and it, it it was very disturbing because I didn't see color, but I had to see it. But what was interesting about that whole experience was I was at the top of a, a very innovative field, and I was bringing some of my innovations into this. And at the time. It wasn't being accepted properly, but we were going from combustion engines to energy storage systems, which is what I do now for for my power plants. And I learned a lot about battery storage from from racing. And it, it, some people don't quite catch the connecting point. But coming out of that and trying to bring that innovation into the African continent was is still almost impossible. And the fundamental reason for that was Here's this young upstart. What's he trying to do? Know it all. He'd been educated outside. I get criticized because of my accent because it's not very African. I've had to dumb it down, but it's still not getting, I haven't lost it yet, but you know, maybe I won't. Some people see you come off a little bit arrogant and all that, but knowledge is knowledge. However, it's translated, whether it's Chinese or black with an English or American accent or South African accent shouldn't mean a thing. But our leaders are very slow or almost resistant. There's a pushback to young, expressive, innovative minds. And you have to take it. You, they, they're not going to give it to you. And I feel that this is, this is what power in Africa leads to, is that 
um, young people that want to change this continent cannot do it by the normal means of communication with our leaders because our African mentality is reverence to age, reverence in that culture. You come in and you're bringing up new ideas, you're an upstart, you're rude, you're insolent um, and all that. So I've had to use a very different tactic, which is really um, to build and shock and awe people. And it's very difficult for anybody who doesn't have the asset base that I have and the access I have to, to be able to do it. It's difficult for me, but it must be horribly difficult for um, young Africans to do it. You know, you look at someone like um, Elon Musk, even trying to, you couldn't imagine him trying to do what he's doing now if he was sitting in South Africa still. It would be almost impossible. Mm. So I, I believe that um, we take this power, we take this technology leap, we, we deliver it to the continent without um, excuses or permission and um, apology. Uh, I think when young leadership such as mine comes into play, then younger people feel comfortable saying, you know what, if you can do it, guess what? I can do it. And that is just not leadership at the governmental and governance level. It's leadership in, in being an African, in being expressive, in being uh, innovative. I've come from that journey, and I can also identify those that want to take that journey and keep, create incubators and, and opportunities for them to rise to the top. Uh, There's African talent and innovation everywhere. It leaves Africa to get recognition and stays out. <laughs> we don't get the reward for it. So that's been for decades that's been happening, um, if not centuries. Um, so I, I really believe that we, we really need to keep the older God out of, of leadership and bring in a newer, more accepting, more technology current and not adverse to technology individuals. So um, that's, that's, that's the background I come from, and that's what I think leadership needs to be like, uh, you know, in these next uh, few years, a lot of our countries are having elections. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, on this very podcast, our last episode, we had young people from different parts of the continent, East Africa, West Africa, Southern Africa, who were sharing their experiences, just trying to lead, just trying to innovate, and sharing the fact that in some instances, they even killed for it. They even killed for it, just for wanting to make their countries and their communities a better place. And one of the things that I think is so powerful that you spoke about was the bridge, because, I mean, I'm I'm 40. Yes, and so while I think it's time that we took the reins, I do believe that our time or our tenure is a transition. You know, it's a bridge for us to be able to, soon hand over the baton to those younger people. I think that it's going to be hard uh, for the transition to go from 80-year-olds to 20-year-olds. <laughs> I think that um, we really yes, have, to, sure. have to step up, step up, stabilize, build that bridge so that by the time they're ready to take on leadership in their nations and in industry and, and in various other spaces, we've built a solid foundation. We've actually done the work of the reset which you speak about. We spoke earlier about democratizing access. Um, I mean, in that instance, we were talking about democratizing access to power, but I think it's important to talk about democratizing access in general. And I want to ask you now about the philosophy of Ubuntu, which is the philosophy that my humanity is wound up in yours. It's this idea that if your dignity is in some way stripped from you, 
You know, if you're stripped of your dignity, then it means I'm stripped of my dignity. You know, if you're lacking and going without, it means I am. And that's an African philosophy that exists throughout the continent. How do we as Africans return to it? Because I think when we talk about this new leadership, at the heart of it, at the heart of all the expressions of leadership, is this idea, is this ethos of Ubuntu? How do you think we return to that? Um, I have a difficulty with it because with modernity, we are stripped of a lot of our cultural essence. Um, it's very difficult for us to have, it's almost this um, equality status that we would have had if everything was the way it was in, in the, I don't say old African, but in our predecessors, in our ancestry, there was a community that was somewhat even. Um, yes, there was this, the strong were, were the fittest and they, they dominated and the weak were looked after and um, they were followers. But there's so many different islands now that it's very difficult for us to embrace the philosophy of Ubuntu, but also want to be able to um, be accessible to the world. If we, if we stayed all as, as one, we would be taken advantage of. And I think that it's incumbent on our leadership uh, at, at the country level to be able to go and lift those at the bottom of the rung and bring them up, to, to bring that level up. We seem to be neglecting a lot of those that are sort of below the poverty line. We've defined the poverty line in European terms rather than in African terms. And I think that we need to change that mindset. There are various ways that this can happen, and then country by country is different. But um, I think that the, the, our leaderships um, along the African continent need to embrace a more communal understanding of bringing people up to a certain standard and let that standard begin to raise. Uh, right now, they've been at the bottom. They'll stay at the bottom. There's no level to bring them up. Healthcare is not there. Our jobs are not there. Healthcare um, is fundamental. We're not seeing it reaching the bottom there. Education is not been raised, and they're almost a forgotten set. And those that raise up uh, are educated, um, and then they're still fighting to get to that very top. So money becomes a, a very interesting thing, whether it's in work or in politics. Um, so I think leadership needs to qualify what Ubuntu means to us now and then get back to that community level. How do we bring people back up? There are so many more people below the, the uh, poverty line that need to be there. And there's so many things that can be done to raise that, raise them above that poverty line and give them hope for a better country, a better continent. What gives you hope? I'm listening to you. And I think that people like yourselves are the reason why many of us have hope. But what gives you hope? You know, um, odd thing, self. Um, I've seen it. I've been in so many countries around the world. I was in Malaysia in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I watched this country that started the same time Nigeria did from independence and uh, became one of those roaring tigers of, of Asia. And it was based on leadership. It was based on Prime Minister Mahathir and his vision and his drive and his patriotism and owning his country and retooling. And... Um, that's the only thing that has driven me to this point of wanting to go and take that leadership because 
I've seen it. It's not about self anymore. I, why would, I wouldn't know what to say to my children if they asked me, what did you do? <laughs> that Africa that we hear about in the books, when it's all destroyed, what did you do? Why didn't you do something? I think we're, sorry, but we're, not, we're too big to fail. Everybody wants something from here. And because everyone's, everyone wants something from here, our natural resources, our, our youth, our energy, we need, we need to kind of, again, retool the mentality. We, we, we have this user, we're happy being used um, for the morsels that we get when we can be retooling. And, and, I'll, and I'll put this in a different way. I remember growing up in Nigeria and um, growing up and coming back to Nigeria on holidays and you wanted to buy something made in China and everybody tell you, oh, no, it'll, it'll break down. Oh, Taiwan, oh, horrible stuff. It has to be European. Now our iPhones are made in China, uh, uh, computers, uh, you know, also the electric cars, all those things. What happened? Leadership retooled. Standards were raised. The quality of product was raised. And now we accept it. It's the cheapest place to go. Well, it's not cheap anymore. The last bastion of cheap labor is Africa. So we need to find leadership that takes control of that retooling and giving us better standards and, in, and, and ingenuity. And um, I know a lot of people from South Africa, Morocco, Egypt, uh, that are my elk, that want to do the same thing. And I think that there's a balance coming. And I do believe, I, I, I'm, I'm call me mad or hopeful, but I do believe that this overstated, it's Africa's turn that is coming. It, it's only going to happen if people like myself and yourself that are looking uh, for, for ways to retool this continent um, uh, put things forward. We're on a podcast now between Nigeria and South Africa. We've been able to have this conversation. And many times you could ask our leaders to do the same. It would take a tooth and a bunch of nails into his hand to get this to happen. Um, and we are comfortable jumping on, on a podcast. And that's the innovation. That's the connectivity that we need to have. We need to have all these bodies. And that's what the Reset Mindset does. We had that wonderful occasion in, in Johannesburg where everybody turned up and we had that wonderful uh, just connection of minds. And I, I, I fell in love with that African. And that's the Ubuntu that I'm trying to tell you that we can share that level, but it's very difficult to share from that bottom up. They ha we have to raise the level so we can communicate better, understand better. Um, so the hope is there, and the hope comes from that um, uh, event that we had in, 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 um, in February. Uh, that was just awesome, and um, we've seen more of that happening. Um, and the hope is that we can work together, we can communicate, we can lift each other um, to have a better continent. As I said, black, white, Asian, colored, it doesn't really matter. We're Africans, and, and we're blessed with so many things that we can share. We don't go, we don't need to go outside to, to, to beneficiate. We can do all those things in, in on the continent with innovative minds. Prince Malik, if you are crazy, I hope you'll be comforted by knowing that you're not the only one. <laughs> There's a couple of us <laughs> really, really believing for and working towards Africa that we know that we deserve and that our children deserve. I'm absolutely inspired by this conversation i know many other people will be as well we are rooting for you because you're the kind of leader that we know we need on the continent that we need in nigeria and we really Thank wish you. you all of the best for your presidential campaign 
we are really cheering you on as you stand for presidency in Nigeria in 2023. I do believe that there's a different generation emerging and I do believe that Africa's time is definitely now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. Nice to be with you. Likewise. Thank you for being part of the Ubuntu movement. To engage on these and other topics, follow at Ubuntu Live Talk and at Nubuntu Webster on Instagram and Twitter. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.